first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the phone? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Saturday, part of the Outsports and SB Nation Podcast Network. You can also find us wherever podcasts can be found, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We are there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Uh, I am especially appreciative of your efforts this week. Uh, I feel like now, though we are told to be socially distant and told to uh, socially isolate ourselves in our own homes, uh, we need that connection uh, more than ever, whether it comes from virtual means or what have you, we need that connection. So I really thank you all for listening and making the show part of your weekly routine. Uh, we have a great interview for you this week uh, with Anthony Nicodemo. He is a friend of the Outsports community. We've covered him uh, quite a bit over the last few years. He is an out uh, boys uh, high school basketball coach uh, in New York State. He is also currently the athletic director in the Greenberg North Castle uh, School District in New York State. He's the founder of Pride on the Court at Sarah Lawrence College and uh, has done great work for the last several years in the LGBTQ sports community. So very excited to have Anthony on the show this week to talk about uh, the impact that the coronavirus is having on his school district, on his staff. He's also the head of the uh, union uh, as well in his district, um, and also what the, the impact this is having on his students. Uh, at Anthony's school, uh, there's a lot of special education students, so they are impacted by this crisis in unique ways. Uh, New York State, like many other states in the country, has ordered all schools uh, to be closed. So uh, Anthony takes us through all that, the impact of the coronavirus on, on him, the teachers, the students, the student-athletes as well, who are now without a spring season entirely. Uh, and just kind of where we go from here, how students can even learn from home, you know, how, especially special edu- education students, as we covered, uh, what kind of psychological impact this has on special education students, not just being isolated in their homes, but just d- seeing flickers of this harrowing news on a regular basis. What, what, what kind of psychological impact does the total lack of genuine social interaction have on kids? The lack of physical activity, perhaps, with no organized sports going on. Uh, what if kids are in abusive homes or homes that don't have the supplies and resources to feed them? It's just, what a mess. What a mess. And in, in the worst part of this is, and I'm a news junkie, I always follow the news, much to the detriment of a mental health, probably. Uh, but even this week, I found myself withdrawing from the news because I just don't, it just doesn't seem like we're anywhere close to getting better. It seems like we're still on this downward trajectory, this downward spiral. And what makes it all the more sickening is 
we really have no federal government right now, and those who are in our federal government, we cannot say have the interests of the people in mind. I mean, I'm sure you've at least read in passing about the story of the four or five senators who sold off gigantic amounts of stock after a coronavirus briefing at the end of January. Uh, Richard Burr is the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee. He was briefing politically connected constituents and businesses last month about the dangers of the coronavirus, and yet publicly he was writing op-eds for Fox News about how the coronavirus is no big deal and will have it under control. So publicly, nothing to see here from one of the most powerful members of the U.S. Senate. Privately, he is warning well-connected constituents and businesses in his home state that, oh yeah, this coronavirus, it's going to be a big deal. We're not prepared for the pandemic. Cancel your travel plans. Be prepared for disruptions to your everyday lives. As recently as two weeks ago, we had the President of the United States standing at the CDC in Atlanta with his goofy campaign hat, talking about how his uncle is a great scientist, how we only have 15 confirmed cases, and how this will all go away when the weather gets warm. I mean, we are not far removed at all from a complete cavalier attitude about this in the federal government. And the fact is, I mean, Trump telling the governors this week they're on their own to buy supplies, to buy ventilators. The states seem to be completely on their own. And again, those in Washington don't even have our interests in mind. They are worried about their own stocks, their own stocks, and covering their own asses. And and you just wonder, do we just get forgotten? Do the people of this country just get forgotten? And, and, and at what point do we rise up and say, enough? It's just, it makes you want to scream. It makes you want to scream. The callous attitudes, the carelessness, the laissez-faire attitude, it's just, it's its really hard to take. I mean, this pandemic is, we've seen that if you have competent government, like they do in South Korea, it can be contained. South Korea was testing up to 10,000 people per day at its peak. They had intensive isolation methods. The government was clear and concise about what it wanted and needed the citizens to do. And they did it. Here in the United States, we have not even reached 100,000 tests in total. Not even close. Not even close. We're still in the tens of thousands of tests conducted at CDC facilities. I mean, I mean, are you kidding me? Public health labs still way, way behind. Many state labs still way, way behind. It's just a total mess out there. And we have no federal leadership of any consequence to turn to it's just so dis and and the virus is bad enough but the the economic damage will be so everlasting here i mean my parents business has been destroyed uh i've lost some gigs due to staff limitations at radio studios over the last week uh, in massachusetts my home state this past monday 20,000 people filed unemployment claims 17,000 people filed unemployment claims in all of February. Steve Mnuchin, our Treasury Secretary, I mean, even someone says that the unemployment rate could get up to 20% when this is all said and done. And that's somebody from the Trump administration. You know it's bad when even they are not sugarcoating the reality here. So it's just the economic deaths will be so severe. And then you ask yourselves when we do eventually get out of this crisis, who will be there to help? Those who fell off. Who will be there to to help those who fell behind? Uh, In this country, we have a tragic history of forgetting working people, of forgetting those who have fallen and can't get up. And we just move on. We don't learn our lessons. 
And, I mean, we lived through the 08 financial crisis just 12 years ago, and no real everlasting changes made after that. I'm not turning this into uh, the Michael Moore hour, but all I'm saying is it's just, it's just awful. It's just awful. But on the positive note, you have to at least have faith that we will get through this. Fortunately, we have some very smart people still uh, in our, you know, as our, our as, as health professionals in our in our in our in our public health sectors. State governments certainly have some great leaders like Andrew Cuomo in New York. We 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 have still have the goods here in a lot of aspects, and we all have to band together. It's just, it's been brutal. It's been brutal. So our role here on the Sports Kiki Podcast, we're going to keep doing shows throughout this crisis. Fortunately for us, I record these from my home, so great. I stay home. I can still podcast. We can still get the shows out to all of you, and hopefully we serve as a distraction to kind of break you away from whatever the hell's going on. Uh, We'll comment on the news, as I did here, because I feel like you have to. I'm not one of the people who just buries my head in the sand, but... Uh, I think a good conversation this week with Anthony Nicodemo to talk about some of the more broader consequences about this, especially in regards to students and student athletes. Uh, so that's coming up on the other side. I also want to note real quick, um, I think the sound is pretty good. The uh, conference tool that I usually use to record uh, my interviews was kind of acting funny on Friday. So I had to improvise, had to do kind of a janky recording method, if you will. But I think I edited it enough where the sound should be all right. So Anthony Nicodemo on the other side. It's a sports kiki. And we are back on the Sports Kiki podcast, getting through some technical difficulties. I guess uh, the coronavirus is throwing off everything, especially, well, it seems like more people uh, need to do use virtual meeting rooms, conference calls, so maybe there's just a lot of overload. But we have him on the phone line now. We have Anthony Nicodemo. You've read about him uh, quite a bit over the years at our humble website. Uh, he's the boys basketball coach and athletic director right now at Greenberg North Castle in New York State. Uh, he's also founder of Pride on the Court at Sarah Lawrence College, which we wrote up earlier this year, a great event, uh, certainly uh, very unique times. Anthony, thanks for taking some time and coming on today. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's, it's so glad we could do this. I always wanted to speak with you since I started uh, Without Sports a few months ago. Um, so let's just start with kind of what you're dealing with right now. Uh, you are an educator. You're the AD at Greenberg North Castle in New York State. You're the boys basketball coach there as well. You're also your union president, uh, New York State. All schools closed uh, this week. Just give us a little look into what you've been dealing with the last couple weeks. I think the best word is uncertainty. Um, It's really such a fluid situation. And what you're seeing is every hour we're getting, you know, updates and Things that we, you know, I think on Tuesday I was in a meeting for about six hours and I walked out of the meeting and I got an email and everything we did for six hours just blew up. Uh, You know, new orders from the governor, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, what's expected, what's not expected. So it's really, really fluid. I will say this, at least in New York, the districts have done a tremendous job of setting up this distance learning where a lot of our kids are going to be educated at home. Now, it creates a little bit of a problem because you're gonna, uh, you're really going to expose the inequities that exist in the education system, where you know wealthy schools where kids have technology in their home uh, are gonna receive a much better education right now than those that don't. So I think this is going to expose a lot in the near future. But right now, educators are trying to do everything they can to try to, you know, try to get these kids uh, taken care of. 
Well, right. I mean, how about your school district? I mean, one of my good friends uh, teaches at Boston Public Schools, and, you know, it's, like, impossible for them to continue virtual learning and have it mirror anything close to the classroom. It's, uh, what's the story, what's the situation in your school district? Yeah, we, we house uh, a lot of special education kids. Um, yeah. A lot of, you know, come from low-income homes. So it's going to be the same as the situation in Boston or, or in New York City where, the kids just don't have the technology. I mean, even over the years, my years at Saunders for 10 years, you know, every year I had two or three kids without cell phones. So these are, this is a problem. Never mind not having cell phones. Now you're talking about printers or laptops in their homes, and they just don't have that. So you got to try to be creative and come up with the best way to do this. And, you know, it's probably more uh, interactive assignments, things where kids can go on the Internet and, and watch a TED Talk and analyze it because I think they can handle that more because the majority of them at least do have access to cell phones and Wi-Fi. Uh, but the bottom line is there, there's no guarantee of that either. So when we do get through this, um, we're going to have a lot of questions uh, to answer on where we go from there. Yeah. Is this being viewed, you think, long term as a way to address some of these inequities in our education system? Because it could be viewed as maybe a moment of opportunity too once we get past just sheer survival. Yes, I think that you know, once we get through this, you're correct. I think that you know, I've already said to my superintendent and my assistant suit, my principal, we got a lot of work to do when this is over because we just show how ill-prepared we are and, and compared to other districts, and we, we, we have a lot of work. I do think that uh, this is going to change the education system for the better, not immediately, but down the road. I think you're going to see a ton of money that's going to be poured into the education system to change us from – you know, being in a classroom where you're at a board to being more technology-based. They think we're behind the eight ball on that, and I think this is going to allow the government to understand that we need change. So the kids at your school are primarily special education, you said? Correct. At high school level, right? High school, yeah. Yeah, so so what's, how are you even viewing the next few months? Is this just a lost school year? I know there are virtual lessons, but, I mean, what's, have you, do you know how, like, what's the... What's the what's the expectation for how how this will go? Well, the expectation now is pretty much giving assignments and having the kids answer them. Uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot a lot of tweets and social media stuff from educators throughout the region, and I keep kind of saying, hmm, you know, it's like the first day of practice. It's really easy to have a high energy on practice one. Practice 28 comes around on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m. It's a little tougher to have that same kind of energy. So I think everyone is very gung-ho right now, but I think over the – the, the longer this closure goes, the more difficult this becomes. So I think we have to navigate uh, a lot before we get too excited with it. Um, but I, I think that, you know, we're doing the best we can. You know, special education kids have IEPs, you know, individual education plans that require modifications, test read, things like that. And there's, there's no way we could provide that right now. And these are legal documents. So the question you get into there is, are you breaking legal documents by doing it this way? So there's so many unanswered questions, and I don't think we're going to know the answer of them. I, I don't think we're going to know the answer. When this is over, we're still probably not going to have answers. You know, I think it's that fluid of a situation. And what happens? I mean, so many kids come from, you know, households that are paycheck to paycheck anyway, like a lot of Americans. Um, during these times, the economy is really ground to halt. It just doesn't seem... I don't know. It just doesn't. Is this? It just seems like a real. It could be real. Get real messy for a lot of kids. Oh, I mean, you know, you're not even. You're talking the education side. You know, the mental health side. Well, right. Sure. You know, we have, we have kids that you know are in unsafe homes. 
uh, some of the reasons that we have them. We have kids that are that you know just just aren't well mentally. They have to fight through a lot of mental illnesses. So there's a lot of questions, you know, under this situation where the police and medical are dealing with something else. If a, kid, a cop is, you know, if the police are called on a kid, where does the kid go? Does the kid go for an evaluation? There's so many unanswered questions and. For my district, that's a big concern of ours because we, we act and operate a little differently because of our kids. So the mental health piece of this for a lot of people is scary. You know, we don't know if our kids are going to make it through this um, with their disabilities and, and with their issues that they face. But we're, we're going to, you know, my first email to all my students yesterday, and I waited a couple of days, was basically, what do we need from you? Do you need food? Do you need housing? Do you need help? You know, that was in there before I sent any assignment because I want to gauge where they're at. Um, and no one has come back with anything too negative yet, which is which is beautiful. But I think as this um, as this situation uh, you know extends and extends and extends, you know we're going to be looking at more and more questions. Yeah, you don't even think of that in Massachusetts. Um, I think our attorney general's office uh, had a uh, had a posting about you know folks who are in uh, you know domestic you know violent relationships and they're now quarantined with their abuser and you think that extends to kids too it just it's it's a total it's a total mess no and i and i think it's two side i think in some cases you have kids that are violent based off of their disability sure okay uh, you know if mental illnesses and their parents can't deal with them so that's why they send them to us so you get into that mixture and then it could be the reverse side where you're dealing with an abusive parent or an abusive sibling or an abusive spouse and, you know, you're stuck. You're locked in the house. I mean, I'm sitting here watching CNN as we speak, and they just put some new restrictions in in New York. And, uh, you, you know, this is going to be the problem. And, unfortunately, I don't think this is going away. You know, I think we're going to be dealing with this almost through probably the month of April. So um, you've got to try to navigate it the best you can. And as educators, we got to try to support our kids the best we can. And what are some of your contingency plans to do that? It's really communication. You know, I think that if the kid reached out and was in some kind of a dire need, I, I would probably act to, you know, reach out to the authorities and, and get them the help that I, you know, get them the best help the best way that I would know how. Um, you know, we, we have our, our clinicians and our social workers who are terrific, and it would be the same deal there. You know, in, in a crisis situation, I would reach out to them and hand it off to them, and they, they would know the proper channel to go uh, to make sure. You know, we're all mandated reporters as educators, so if it was something that dire, I would be required to, to report to the authorities immediately. The question is, with the crisis going on, you know, do the authorities deem it a priority? You know, that's the scary piece here. So I think we're uh, looking at a real challenge over the next couple of months. What is your opinion on how the school closings in New York were handled? I remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe even as recently as last week, uh, Mayor de Blasio was saying, you know, I think that the three pillars we have in this city are our school systems, our public transportation. You know, those are two of our main pillars. I intend to keep those open as long as possible. Obviously, schools closed now across the state. But do you think we were too slow to close schools? Do you think that, you know, it, it's maybe an overreaction in some areas where, again, they provide care like yours does? What's your general take on how we've handled all of that? You know, I think Governor Cuomo, and as somebody who's involved pretty politically, too, as the president of the Stonewall Democrats, that I look at it from several lenses. And, and I think Governor Cuomo has done a good job. And the thing that he said to me that it, or said out loud that has resonated is this idea that, you know, well, if we close down New York City, everyone from New York City is going to go up and stay at their cousins in Westchester. Ironically, I said that if they close down Yonkers, I'm going to stay with my mom. <laughs> so it's she's an hour north of me. So he's right. And that goes for, you know, Jersey and Connecticut. So I think that when that day comes, it has to be, an, you know, a ban across the masses. Um, you know, even in Westchester, they, they were slow to close schools. I mean, I was at work on Monday with staff. So 
this is it was it was across the board. I don't think anyone knew what to do or how exactly the right way to do it. There was a lot of issues on funding and whether you get funding if you close early. And the superintendents took, you know, the stance that hey, we got to abide by the executive order because if we don't, we're going to lose funding and pay. And you know, this is still going on now. You know, we're still trying to make sure our hourly workers are going to get paid. And um, I keep using the word fluid, but that's truly what it is. I mean, I, I think they probably could have closed the New York City schools a little earlier being so close, but now I think they're on the same page. Everything's now closed. And I actually think that in New York, they're doing a pretty good job of, of trying to flatten this curve, you know, they keep talking about. I think there's not a lot of people out. Uh, there's very few people out. The only thing really open are grocery stores and takeout. And uh, hopefully this is going to work in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, how's you are that your union head? How is that uh, process going? Ensuring that your hourly workers continue to receive compensation. Well, I, I think it's, it's a, always a legal issue. You know, based on the governor's order, uh, our legal advice and our teachers' union, NYFIT, which is one of the biggest in the country, and you know they have terrific leadership. Um, you know, we've been in constant contact with them throughout this. And you know, earlier this week, our schools, which are considered special act schools, were actually not in the executive order to close schools. And of course, I went bananas and all the other union. We went, you know, we got online with the right people at NYSIT up in Albany, and they ended up adding us to the language to make sure that, you know, we were we were added to the executive order. So, the union stuff has taken up a tremendous amount of time. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, I'm, I'm sitting up. Generally, stuff starts coming in around seven, and it last night. I mean, I woke up this morning and I had emails that came in at four a.m. Wow. So it, it doesn't it doesn't stop, and I don't think it's going to because I think we're going to finally put this to bed in the next day or two. And uh, then April 1st, when the executive order expires, we're going to have a, no, a whole other series of questions that's going to come out. But, you know, my job as a union president, as a labor leader, is to make sure my people get paid and my people are taken care of. Uh, it's, it's Sometimes it's a delicate balance between that and making sure our kids get educated. You know, you run into a fine line of making sure everything's right, and you need to, to tightrope tight, uh, tight walk that a little bit. But I, I think uh, I think we're doing a good job of, of educating our kids right now and making sure that our people are taken yeah, it makes you appreciate good leadership. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, oh, it, it, it does. And, and I think, like I said, Governor Cuomo is not the best person on education. Educationally, he, he really has not helped teachers or educators over the years. But I think in this particular crisis, he is uh, he's doing a very, very good job. Yeah, he really is. It's just, Cuomo never – people hate him on social media especially, but he's getting uh, – it's been the week of Cuomo uh, from that from that perspective. Uh, quite a contrast to what we have uh, in D.C. right now at least. Well, it's interesting with Cuomo, you know, he, he's very, you know, as far as being an LGBT person, you can't get a better governor than, than sure. Cuomo. The guy has been a, a, a pioneer leader when it comes to anything to do with LGBT people. I mean, he's pushing every possible bill through. In fact, we just put out a statement yesterday about uh, walking while trans and, sur- and uh, surrogacy. He's the guy championing it. Mm. So, you know, the, the legislators aren't even signing on to it. And he's the guy championing it. But then you put the other hat on educationally. You know, he often cuts funds and yeah. puts these crazy tax caps in. So it's really an interesting line with him as a, as a, someone who's gay and someone who's a teacher. Right. Um, you know, where do you support him? And well, certainly he, yeah. gets, he gets my vote almost every time because the guy on the other side is usually nowhere near as good as sure. you know, you, just what it is. Yeah, the New York state legislate state politics are so interesting because uh, there's the progressive wing, of course, that Cuomo tried to block, right? Cuomo's more centrist faction that teams up with some Republicans. That's where a lot of that controversy came uh, last year, right? There was there was that issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the people look at New York because of the city and say, well, we're a liberal state. Right. The bottom line, up until last year, we were not a liberal state. You know, we couldn't get uh, an LGBT bill out of committee 
in New York State. It was impossible because the Senate was Republican. And I think the Trump effect has, has literally decimated the Republicans in New York State. And now we have a supermajority up there. So last year, all these bills that were just completely progressive, whether it's bail reform, whether it's LGBT bills, whether it's voter reform, everything rolled through. And now all of a sudden, we're the most liberal state. And, you know, there's some pushback going on, of course, because of that. But uh, we've become that. And I think uh, you know, that's the important piece is to try to keep the Senate this year. The Assembly is so overwhelmed with Democrats, it doesn't matter. Right. So you got to try to keep the Assembly, uh, the Senate rather, and make sure that we stay a liberal state to get this stuff through. Let's talk about the impact that these social distancing measures actually have on the psyche of kids. Um I imagine it must be, I mean, it must just be just just horrible from a mental health standpoint. And then you turn on the news or social media and it's nothing but panic-stricken, hysterical coverage. Um, it must just be hell on the mental health of a lot of these kids that are tenuous anyway. Yeah, I mean, last Friday we were in school and I, I, one of the people next to me had on CNN. And I walked in the room and said, what are you doing? Shut this off. He's well, I said, no. I said, I, I watch CNN with my kids when there's a debate. I don't watch CNN about this. Our kids are too triggery. you got to be careful. You don't know how they're going to handle this. And, and I think it's like the adults. You know, you have friends who are okay staying in their room and playing video games and reading and watching TV. Then you have people like me who are the complete opposite. Right, yeah. I haven't been in the house yet. I've gone out every single day. I have not gone out and, and associated with people. I haven't gone to parties. But I've been in school at my classroom by myself. You know, I've gone for walks and I'm – going to go hiking today and and i i think that's me i don't want to stay inside so i think you have two different kinds of people and the people who are more like me are the ones you got to worry about especially the kids you know when you, you deal with these mental illnesses that it seems like they probably existed 25 years ago but they weren't really addressed right. now they're addressed and you, you got to make sure that those kids are good the positive is we live in a generation i think where the younger people are you know are, are skype and zoom yeah. and all these other things you know instagram so they're able to uh, be have their friends from you know someone from New York has a friend in Tennessee or a friend in Missouri and they're able to get on the computer and talk to each other so I think that's a positive to this is these kids will still have a way to communicate with their friends through FaceTime and things like that but I also worry about that because ultimately it that's just not a replacement for face-to-face interaction and anything that makes young kids you know these Gen Zers even more dependent on technology I don't I don't think that's good I know it's a necessity now, but long term, I mean, how can we even become more dependent on technology than we already are? It's scary to think. I mean, my players don't call me anymore. They FaceTime me, and I refuse to answer it because I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and, and that's just what these kids, that's what happens. They don't know. They just call. They want to see you, so they, they FaceTime. Um, that's just not something that I do, so I won't answer their calls when they do that. It is, it, it is silly, the FaceTiming thing. Everyone looks strange doing it. I don't like it either. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what they do. Yeah. And, and I think you're, you're, you're right, but I think we're seeing something that we've never seen, and we're seeing something that our parents have never seen, and most people are seeing something that their grandparents never seen. And, and I think that that's the biggest piece we need to understand is any kind of norm is now gone. Will it be back? More than likely, but it'll be changed forever. And, you know, I'm a history teacher. I'm a historian. You know, I, I read history books like crazy. It's my, it's my passion outside of sports. And we're never going to be the same. Our country is going to fundamentally change economically, socially over the next, you know, three or four, yeah. five, six months. And I think that people need to understand that. You know, we're not going to be the same country. It's just this doesn't happen and you don't turn around and things go back to normal. There's going to be new laws. It's like 9-11. 
you know, before 9-11, you walked into the airport, you walked through security, and no one cared anything. And then afterwards, the people now, have no, they don't remember that. Right. You know, getting on a plane or smoking on a plane. You know, I never smoked on a plane or saw people smoke on a plane, but I watched the movies. I'm like, what the hell? Smoking on a plane? How crazy is that? But, you know, there's things that occur in, in our history, and I think that this is going to be one that's going to fundamentally change our country. Uh, hopefully, our leaders make it so that it changes it for the positive. You know, that, that's got to be the hope. It doesn't, come po- it doesn't become political. It becomes well, positive changes once we get through this. Yeah, well, I say good luck with it not being political, uh, Mr. China virus. <laughs> and the other thing... Yeah, very, very true. And uh, the other thing I would say, right. I mean, I, it's just... I agree this you know, could, probably will have everlasting social changes to our society, but if that makes us further introverted and draws us further to our screens, I just think that's absolutely... If this destroys the last semblance of human contact that young kids feel like they need to have with each other, um, I just think that's terrible. Well, let, let's hope that what it does is because it's going to be so much for the next couple of, uh, of months or weeks, whatever it is, that afterwards, you know, when this stops, people are going to go out and play in the playground. Right. Kids are going to go out to the basketball courts because they are going to be tired naturally of being bumped up. And that could be the positive to it. You know, sure. maybe it'll be a reverse, fa- a reverse uh, factor in it and people will be tired of just doing that. The same way that you're tired of being with people, you go to your phone, maybe it'll be the other way around. I, I like that attitude much better, like a renaissance, if you will, when the sports come back and life returns. Um, how about that? So you are a basketball coach as well, longtime basketball coach, now uh, the an athletic director. Um, just sports canceled so many seasons, senior seasons, abruptly end. What's, uh, what have you been hearing from your players, and how are you handling that situation? We were done. You know, we were here in New York. We were into the into the second round of regionals when everything got canceled. Um, and, you know, there are coaches who have coached for 30 years, and this is their team. This is their one chance, and now they just get stopped of winning a state championship. But the problem is, you know, you're dealing, you're looking now. I mean, I think yesterday I saw two acquaintances who had friends pass away. So there's that balance of that, too. You know, it's it's a game. And I, I think that's what people, you know, need to understand. But it is an outlet for so many at the same point. You know, yesterday I was watching videos last night of uh, – one shining moment and drinking sangria and I'm like man you know these are some of the four my four favorite days of the year right now I had a whole plan I was going to Atlanta right right watching game, you know and, and and that was taken away so I think what it'll do and it'll eventually make us realize how much we love sports you know as far as these high school kids you know you got to feel bad you know they, they're missing their spring season you know and that's that's a big piece of the high school experience you know, playing your sports and the prom and homecoming and all these crazy things that are now no longer here for the next couple of months. You know, so a lot of our, our kids are going to be robbed of those experiences. Yeah, it, it, it is. And you really, especially your your last year of high school is really defined by the social events in the spring. Um, but but in terms of, um, you know, how, how, how you can remain active during this period, and you talk about you think that maybe once this is all over, we'll see a renaissance of people embracing that interaction, playing on the playground, etc. One thing this could do is, since there's no organized sports, I mean, you have to be careful, but let's be honest, kids are hopefully, when it's nice out, going to go outside. I mean, could we maybe see, you think, a rejuvenation of, like, the the neighborhood uh, wiffle ball game or, or pickup games if there's no organized sports leagues? Like, let's, let's fast forward to next month, you know? It, we start to reopen society, but the leagues are canceled, and, you know, do we see a renaissance in, in backyard sports, if you will, which I think would, would be great. And I think you will, and I think you see it every year. You know, especially if you live in New York or Boston or someplace like that. 
you know, that first warm day, every college campus you go to, everyone's out with no shirt on in Central Park or in the Commons or wherever they may be. You know, and I think you'll see that. I think right now you're still, like today, it's about 70 degrees here, but tomorrow it's going to be 40, and I think it's going to snow on Sunday. So naturally the kids start going outside more uh, in March and April. So I think once this is over, you're going to see even, even more kids going outside. And the playground game is not what it once was. People just don't go to the playground and play anymore. Ten years ago they did it more. Yeah, I agree. They play video games. So I think you'll see that naturally. You're going to see people wanting to be outside. And you'll see those kids hopefully get out and and play more. I mean, here in New York, they still haven't canceled the New York State basketball championships, which makes me scratch my head because they postponed it indefinitely. Now, I'm sure announcement's going to come on Monday that it's canceled, but it just doesn't seem the right thing to do to try to hold on to something that's not going to exist for these kids. You know, this is what it is. I mean, these kids lost their state championships, you know, and I think we have to get them to accept that and then move on. As far as spring goes, same thing. You know, right here in, in the local area, Section 1 in New York, we, we're, we're, we're postponed to March 30th. Mm-hmm. But Dutchess County, you know, upstate a little bit, in, which is also in Section 1, they're postponed to May 1st. So then you got a bunch of other ones till April 15th. So the state is all over the place with how this is going to go, but I scratch my head and say, well, how can New York, how can Section 1, which is the epicenter, New Rochelle, Mount Vernon, Yonkers, where all these these cases are coming out. How could we be the one that's planning to start before all the rest of these people when we're the epicenter? It just it doesn't make sense. And I think a lot of times people don't want to make the tough decisions. And I think in this particular case, you have to make tough decisions. You know, we had our basketball dinner scheduled for this coming Tuesday. We have 350 people come to it. We announce our Mr. Basketball and the big hoopla. And I wanted to cancel it, and a couple of my board members said, let's postpone it. We postponed it to the end of May. I think if there's no spring sports, it'll give people something nice to do at the end of May to get together with your peers and celebrate the season. I think that'll be a beautiful thing if that's how it plays out. But I think uh, our leaders have to uh, make tough decisions in these times of crisis. Do you think we'll see everlasting change to sports after this on the youth high school level in terms of the amount of contact that's permitted uh, do you think we'll, like in terms of public health do we start changing the way that we we do things there i don't i don't think so i mean i can't imagine I mean, how could you you know there might be guidelines about things like water bottles and things like yeah. that but you know in a, in a place like new york we have all that you know this this state uh is very is different still you know and everyone has their different rules you know new hampshire you have to wear mouthpieces and we're pretty good here in the state with coaching licenses and with requirements i'm sure that not every state is like that but new york is pretty on on the ball with that sometimes i think a little over the top as someone who's done this my whole life almost so i've seen the changes come and sometimes i scratch my head with some of the rules that they put in but I, I don't think so. I mean, how much more can you regulate playing in a basketball game? There's going to be sweat. There's going to be blood. There's going to be injuries. There's just no way around around that in in, in a sport like basketball. Sounds like you're rolling with the punches pretty good. Uh, I admire it. Your your uh, ability to kind of just roll with it here. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a choice. Yeah, you know, I, I think you have to you know, have a choice. You know, you can let this lose your mind and be one of these people that. You know, goes on Twitter and complains. I mean, you can't do that. You know, my plan today was to go to a hike, and I was going to go to the school and and work out. I mean, I was going to lift. Nobody's there. The, the weight room is safe. There's nobody in there except me. Right. No one has the key, so I could go in there and get a 45 minute lift in and still try to stay active until they tell me I'm not allowed out anymore, and then I will obey that. But you know, I'll go over there and do some union stuff and print some stuff out and do some lesson plans and hang out for two hours and then come home. 
And, you know, I think that's keeping me sane. Now, eventually that might stop. You know, the harsh reality is eventually I might, you might be told you can't go out. And then you got to come up with something else. You know, luckily I have a deck. I go hang out outside. If you live upstate, it's much better. You know, you can really go for a walk because there's really no one around. No one around, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, you, there's really no choice in this matter. You know, it, it just is what it is. You kind of chug through the day, and I'm getting eight hours of sleep. I don't think I've ever done that. Generally, I'm in bed at 11, and I'm, I'm up at 8. So it's like eight hours. I've never had that in my life. You know, usually I'm midnight, and I'm up at 6. So... I think uh, from that standpoint, I'm, I'm getting the rest, and uh, you know, it's a, you know, I'm me. You know, nurses and doctors aren't doing that. You know, they're getting up and they're working 12-hour shifts. So are our police. So is our fire. So there's a lot of different walks of life that are that are not able to do this right now. You know, and yesterday was the first day I started seeing some people on Facebook, acquaintances, you know, who had the virus, acquaintances that are in the hospital, and some acquaintances of you know friends of acquaintances type situations that have passed away from the virus. You know, we had a. a a member of the New York LGBT Bar Association uh, board pass away from complications of the virus yesterday. So you start seeing that, and it gets a little more real for you. Like, uh oh, it's getting closer to home. And I, yeah. I think that's the reality of what we're all going to see. I think we're all going to see somebody who knows this, and I think a lot of us are probably going to see someone who might pass away from it, which is scary and heartbreaking. But I think uh, yeah, that's just what we're facing. Yeah, I was going to ask my last question. Do you, how do you, I know your kids are are your kids conceptualizing what's going on and just kids in general, how do you think they're handling are they taking this seriously enough the social distancing? I I think it depends on on where you are. You know, clearly that viral video that we saw from Florida yeah. was just mind-blowing that you know how ridiculous these kids were that they were partying and they were, you know, in the street and, and all this kind of craziness. Um our leaders have to stop that, you know, and, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but kids are stupid sometimes. You know, you, you think you're in, in, invisible. That's why they're kids. And and our leaders and the people in charge need to make sure that doesn't happen. You know, if there's a crazy outbreak in Florida in the next couple of days, you know, the leaders of Florida have to be held accountable. And I think we saw that a couple of weeks ago with, uh, you know, the white party in Miami. You know, last week at this time, TBRU down in Dallas, which is one of those big, you know, LGBT barriers. They were having it. They, well, they canceled it on Friday at like 2 o'clock after everyone was there. Right, right. That means that all those people, and, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to a bear event before, but <laughs> you know, they get hot and they get sweaty very quickly. And, you know, the, these guys are out at the clubs and at the bars and at the hotels doing whatever they're doing. You know, those people all got on planes and they all went home. You know, there was 10,000 of them there. Madness. You know, I went to I went to a Celine Dion concert. I think it'll be two weeks ago on Sunday, and that's kind of the last big group thing that I did. And it was different. You're there. You're not quite on. You know, you're on top of people, but a little bit different. But to have these events and to go and think you're invincible. One of my friends in L.A. is recovering from this. You know, he's a uh, you know he's a, he's a terrific shape. He's a you know you look at him and you know he's think oh my god this guy's beautiful he's got a great body blah, blah, blah. and he had it for three weeks he said he wouldn't wish it on his worst enemy. So I, I, this is something that none of us, you know, are exempt from. We all can catch this. So I think we need to be smart. And I think that if our young people aren't going to listen to us, then the leaders need to force them to listen to us and shut things down so that they can't make that mistake to go home and endanger others. I know. The gays just love to party. I, I was seeing I was seeing uh, people on Instagram. You're right, last weekend in Dallas. So, I, yeah, they canceled the event, but everyone was already there. So I saw, like, Saturday night even, people I know still out in packed clubs. But, you know, like... Last weekend, you know, two weekends ago, I was doing the same. I was having a Sunday fun day. I was out at this packed sports bar we all go to. So, you know, it, it is, I mean, none of us were really as 
cautious as we should have been as recently as, you know, I think even last week at this time, the world's completely changed. So it's hard to, it's hard to get too agitated, but I mean, I think now if you're not abiding by the distancing rules, then, you know, you're just, you know, what's going on, you know, well, I, you know, yeah, that's, and listen, you know, our, I say that for, for, you know, an LGBT podcast, you know, this is where we start, you know, the starts getting warm, you know, I go to Rehoboth. Oh morning. yeah. I go to, I go to P-Town, I go to Fire Well, the, I, I had this conversation with Sid the other night and I said, does it happen this year? And Sid's like, of course it's going to happen. But I'm like, Sid, if this is still going on, they're not allowing, you know, 200 people to get on a ferry to go to Fire Island. This is not happening. And, you know, that's the, the harsh reality. And I think the, 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 the reach of this is, you know, these, these places like P-Town and, and Fire Island, and if they're not open, now you're talking about another more, you know, a bigger economic reach here. You're talking about, you know, more closures. And that's the, the long-term effect that could be scary. Now, the hope this cycles through by May, and then everyone really enjoys himself this summer after being cooped up inside and, you know, kind of goes out and gets to enjoy life a little bit. But there's no guarantee we're going to get there. And that's, you know, the scary piece is where are we going to be in July? None of us truly know. Uh, don't they dare take away my P-Town 4th of July over my dead body. Uh, Anthony. Oh. <laughs> uh, we'll see. <laughs> Anthony, uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. Appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. I've been listening to you since you've been doing it. And when I take my drives to Albany for my union business, it's a two-hour ride up from uh, Yonkers. So I got something to listen to. It's good stuff. Oh. So thanks again to Anthony Nicodemo for taking the time and having a uh, pretty lengthy conversation with me today on the show. Uh, but then again, everyone's on house arrest, basically. So I guess he had nothing else to do. <laughs> but in all honesty, no, thanks, Anthony, for coming on. Uh, this is day number eight, as I tweeted out in the Sports Kiki Twitter account. This is day number eight of me wearing uh, sweatpants and sweatshirts. Uh, day six or seven of no product in my hair, which is a strange look as well. That's the other thing, too, when you're on total lockdown. Can you even get a haircut? Uh, personal grooming, out the window. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, just, oh, man, well, what a mess. But hopefully you enjoyed the conversation with Anthony. Um, I apologize if you were looking for a complete distraction, but I'm not one of the people who, as I said in the opening, can just kind of bury my head in the sand when the world is collapsing around me. I feel like I have a platform. Might as well use it to comment on issues of consequence. But we will keep doing shows, talking to interesting people. As I said, it should be easier than ever to book guests since everyone's trapped in their houses and wants to get away from their family members or roommates. Like, please, can I speak to anybody who's not related to me by blood? Please. So uh, hopefully we'll have some good interviews coming up the next few weeks. We'll do our part to keep you entertained. Thank you all for listening. You all know you know how to get in touch with me. You can send me a tweet, a tweet at, at, at AlexReamer1. Then again, at AlexReamer1. You can also email me, AJReamer0 at gmail.com. Feel free to do that. I'll talk to you all next Saturday. Thank you for listening. And read us all week on Outsports as well. We're continuing to turn out, uh, turn out great content. Then.